0: That God said, let there be light. And there was light. I believe that God created humans. And I believe that God created humans with the ability to see rainbows. Like, could you do that with your 3D printer and no previous knowledge? How about with your 3D printer and no other material? How about without your 3D printer? Could you say, bam, let there be an eyeball that can see rainbows? No, you you couldn't do that. I believe that God is a God of miracles. The same God who sent His Son, Jesus, by a miracle birth that for a thousand years had been predicted, more than 400 prophecies fulfilled in a 24-hour period when He was executed. The God of miracles. This is Easter week. This is the day in which ancient Christians remembered and celebrated Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem when people said, Hosanna. Right? The God of miracles. I believe that this Jesus is the one who took our sins upon Himself and He was executed so that we could be forgiven of our mistakes. Right? That he rose from the dead on the third day. He came back to life. That his resurrection is the proof that God accepted his sacrifice as payment for our sins. This is the God of miracles. We always take several Sundays in the year to just look at a slice of the life of Christ. And that's, that's what I want to do today. I want to look a little bit at the life of Jesus. Are you ready? Come on. Anyone ever seen a miracle? Okay. Anyone ever been in need of a miracle? Okay, so this is relevant stuff. Good. All right. That is this Jesus. So let's, ident- let's just define miracle real quick, and then we're going to turn to some scripture. A miracle is a wonder, a marvel. An extraordinary event in the physical world that surpasses all known human or natural powers and is ascribed to a supernatural cause, an act of God. In other words, it doesn't usually work like this, right? We've defined the laws of nature as how it usually works. A miracle is something only God can do. When we look to the God of miracles, we ask God for a miracle, we do not ask for what we are capable of doing. That's more like self-affirmation, self-talk, self-coaching, God help me do this thing. When we, Which is okay. But when we pray to a God of miracles, we're asking for a wonder, an act of God. Something that is outside the laws of nature. Something that is different. Let's look at a couple of stories together. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Now it happened, the day after that, that he went into a city called Nain. Not Nane, Nain. <laughs> and many of his disciples went with him, and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Now, he's dead. He's not like Monty Python nearly dead, not, you know, Princess Bride, almost dead. He's dead dead, right? The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Now, in this period of history, sexism, classism, many different male chauvinist, mansplaining, limitations on women to be able to earn a living were in place. So this is... And a note of importance on the emotional level, to be sure. But this is also a note of importance in that in normal social norms, she would not be able to earn a living. She would need to beg. Okay? That's the historical context of what we're talking about here. It's her only son. If my dad died, and I died... I'm the only son of my mother, my mother would be crushed. Are you with me? Mom, I hope you're not listening to this one. (laughs) Okay? This is an emotional situation. And a large crowd from the city was with her. So that is also an important note because that means either he or she, they were important. They were much loved. A large crowd means it wasn't just the people they paid to be there, because back then, for funerals, they would pay people to be mourners in the procession. It was actually, I I could earn a living doing that, right? You you cry, and you shout, and you wail, and it sounds kind of funny, but that's actually something that they did. People that had money would pay people to show up to the funeral, to walk along. You didn't have cars for a procession, right? You're not just putting on your hazards like they're, "Ah!" Like they pay. so, they, But this is important because this means the people that actually wanted to be there to mourn His loss were there. Okay? When the Lord, that's Jesus, when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her. And He said to her, Do not weep. Then He came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried Him stood still. And Jesus said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And so he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And Jesus presented him to his mother. Then fear or reverence or awe or whoa, shock came upon all. And they glorified God saying, A great prophet has risen up among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and the surrounding region. That means like, this is a miracle, a historical marker, something of cultural importance, something that was talked about for a long time. Something that had an effect that was, wow, that happened, it's undeniable. We can't explain it, we don't know how it happened, it happened. I have laid my hands on a dead body and prayed for resurrection. Resurrection from the dead still happens today. There are YouTube videos. There's proof. There is proof. It happened here locally, not that long ago. Resurrection from the dead is a real thing. It happens. Because God is a real thing. And when people are willing to not put Him in a box and limit Him to what we think He's capable of, bam! (laughs) He shows up. Right? Now, Matthew 15, 32-39. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they've now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. So it's not just somebody's died, somebody's hungry and Jesus has compassion. They have nothing to eat and I, I don't want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Now remember, everybody walks wherever they go. Like this is an actual, like you'd be in a physical danger if you set out on a foot journey and you didn't have something to eat, right? Then his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? We can't feed all these people. Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? How much bread do you have? And they said, seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. Then he took seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks broke them, and gave them to his disciples, and his disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. That is some doggy bag. Now those who ate were 4,000 men, besides the women and children. And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. Jesus has compassion for the dead and the hungry. And he does miracles. Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now just side note, for those of you that hear last Sunday or heard last Sunday's podcast we talked about praise and worship it's of note that Jesus wanted to be identified as the son of david and that people called him the son of david david the king david the man who was after god's own heart david who the songwriter david the one who sang praise to the lord that's important the song of david uh, son of david have mercy on us the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet but they shouted all the louder Now, I know this has never happened in your neighborhood, but in my neighborhood, when there are homeless people that are asking for money or playing music and asking for money, sometimes they're not always treated well. The crowd rebuked them. Who's the the crowd? The people that are religious, right? Or consider themselves religious. Whoa, whoa. Now you're getting personal. And told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, We want our sight. There is much precedent in the Bible and in history of God asking us, What do you want? There's actually a biblical precedent that remains in Hebrew culture of God putting an impetus on us to ask. It is right to ask. Jesus said, what do you want? What can I, what do you want me to do for you? We want our sight. Jesus had what? Compassion Compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Immediately. It doesn't say Jesus shouted. It doesn't say Jesus commanded a demon to flee. It doesn't say Jesus grabbed him. Are you with me? It doesn't say Jesus danced a jig and commanded that they join his church and give a tithe. It just says Jesus touched them. And if you if you pay attention to when Jesus heals people that are blind in the scripture, you'll notice that he does it different ways. It's not always the same method that he uses. Immediately they receive their sight. Matthew 14, 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Now in this story, in this context... Jesus is tired, he's worn out, he's looking to be by himself. If you pay attention to the historical accounts, what you'll find is that Jesus often would go to be alone to pray. Or with just a few people. Jesus also had to balance the extrovert-introvert. He spent time on his own. That's okay. Right? All of you introverts just say, thank you, Pastor Ben. Right? That's where Jesus is headed, but he sees a great multitude of people, and he was moved with compassion for them. That's an important expressive Greek phrase. And he healed their sick, healing miracles. Now, let's just unpack this a little bit, because the Greek is really expressive, and I don't think we get... A sense of it, and there are many, many verses that describe this. Jesus was moved with compassion. So compassion is literally with passion, from the Greek, right, compassion, with passion is what it means. But beyond that, it would mean to have great affection for. It has the same, kind of a similar root and attachment to the agape word that we've been unpacking recently. It's great love. A great love. To love, and what's also in, in this, word picture that is used from the seat of your emotion. In other words, love that comes from way down deep. Now what's interesting is that this is used to describe Jesus bringing someone back to life, providing lunch, healing the blind, healing the sick. So if you're already thinking about food, Jesus has compassion. But this is always the first, I'll never forget the first time I looked at this in the Greek, it really struck me because it's very, very expressive and it means moved is literally like from down in here, something emotional, something personal, something passionate, something strong, something like, must, I must do something about this. I must do something that a feeling, it's an emotion and a decision. It's an emotion and a decision. I recognize something, and I must do something about this. That's what how it describes Jesus doing this. Now, I love many things about Jesus and God, and we understand that everything, every detail about Jesus instructs us, gives us something informational to learn about God, right? Now, I love this because we don't serve a God who doesn't care about our life experience and doesn't understand our life experience. Because remember, Jesus came on this earth born as a poor refugee. Somebody? Right? Of a race that was looked down upon. Of a race that was oppressed by the government. That's Jesus. He walked this life into adulthood tempted in every way that we are and yet without sin this is normally the take a deep breath break period of the message. I recently heard this story that really struck me about the Oregon Trail. Not the video game. So there was um, there was a guy who was a pilot decades ago. He was a pilot. He had three sons. And his first two born sons, he also taught them how to be pilots. And when they were kids, I'm talking like before middle school, helped helped them build their own plane. Then the brothers, on their own, used their plane to fly across the United States, setting a record for the youngest pilots to ever cross the United States. Right? The middle brother, um, later on, becomes a journalist and um, the youngest brother and the the dad had bought horses and learned how to take care of horses, particularly liked draft horses, okay? And so the brothers, they kind of grew up around horses and mules and donkeys and things, taking care of them. It was just kind of a part of their upbringing. The youngest brother, and they they mostly lived in New England, the youngest brother um, actually made a living out of like, um, you know, uh, sleigh for snow, for draft horses pulling you, giving you that Christmassy white Christmas experience, right? So the middle brother was a journalist, was on a, getting pretty tired from a long assignment, was in the Midwest, and as most people do in the Midwest, looking for something to do. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. My mom grew up in Kansas. We're going to talk about Kansas for a second. So he's in Kansas. I think it's in the Midwest. This might be a discussion for another day. Um, he's in he's in Kansas, and he notices a marker for the Oregon Trail. Now, for those of you that may not know, you can actually get for free online the ebook of Lewis and Clark's uh, journal about Lewis and Clark Trail. The Oregon Trail goes all the way out through Portland, Oregon, where my wife and I grew up, out to the Pacific Ocean. Okay, exploration is some, an important trek in history. So, this journalist, uh, Wrinkler is his name. He finds this trail marker and starts to get fascinated. He's recently divorced, going through a hard time in life, just looking for purpose, and finds this trail marker, starts to just read up on the Oregon Trail and what it was like and what it meant and all of that stuff, and just gets fascinated with it. Decides to, and discovers that no one had historically, this was recently, no one had authentically recrossed the Oregon Trail. No one had done it. So he does what any sane individual does. He gets three donkeys and a covered wagon and does it. True story, right? Now donkeys, because uh, for those of you that don't know, they're a cross between a horse and a mule and they don't require as much water as a horse and their eyes are set further back in their head so they're much more sure-footed on uneven ground. Okay, so... I, no, I have a point, really, I promise. So he and his younger brother make the trek from Kansas all the way to Oregon on the Oregon Trail in a covered wagon. Okay? Can you imagine? Are you feeling some kind of woe, right? Now, they understood at the end of that journey, even though they had the aid of their cell phones and, and other things which are part of the story, they understood what Lewis and Clark went through more than any of us. So they could have compassion. Jesus walked to this Earth as God with compassion. He was betrayed, ridiculed, made fun of, falsely accused. Beaten up, abandoned, manipulated, lied to. We don't pray to someone who doesn't understand. Jesus walks with compassion. Now, let's talk about miracles for for a minute. Okay. God is not a genie in a lamp. So, I was in Aladdin in the play in high school and we actually, it was so good we won state with it, believe it or not. I was the, the bad genie. It's true. I had over 300 lines. So laugh all you want. It was, it was a challenge. So the, the imagery of a genie in a bottle is a vivid one to me, right? It's like a, it's like a memory. We need to understand that God is not a genie in a bottle. God may do what He wants, when He wants, how He wants. In fact, in Scripture and in history, we see that He does miracles in various ways, regardless of the person's faith. He does miracles for people that are not believers. He does miracles for wicked people. How good you are does not dictate if God will respond that's just like a little perspective little maturity right now faith does help and in scripture god does call us to grow up as believers and god does show us that faith helps us in the asking and we do see cases where god responds to faith in fact we see specific cases where jesus says because of your faith right So faith is not the requirement, but it is a condition that helps. Are you with me? Similarly, praying Scripture when we don't know what to pray helps. It's a significant help. And you can even ask God how you should pray. We talked earlier about how God invites us to ask. That's an important thing for us to understand. But I want to just note in when we talk about Jesus, the God of miracles, Jesus is giving us an example that compassion was His motive and that compassion was the atmosphere in which He did miracles. Come on, think about it now. So is it praying loud that encourages God to do miracles? Is it praying the words you've heard, fancy words you heard somebody else pray, the condition for miracles? No. No. Jesus uses the street Greek, the plain simple language. Right? Faith helps, but what else does God respond to? I don't know if you've ever heard a teaching on this before. Compassion. I have found that when we are willing to be next to somebody in need on a long-term basis, when we make ourselves available to help meet their needs, that is the climate for miracles. That's an atmosphere that God responds to. In fact, we pray, Jesus' power tool, the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You've probably heard that before. Right after that, Jesus tells a story about prayer. And before that as well, one, the story after is about persistence. The story before is about somebody who was already meeting a person's need, ran out of stuff to meet their need, came to God and asked for help to continue to meet the need. Wait, well, what? Compassion is the motive that God honors and the atmosphere in which God likes to do miracles. We don't see much precedent in Scripture and history for angry religious people asking God to do something for somebody that they look down on, someone that they're manipulating, and God doing a miracle in that case. Right? compassion is the motive and the atmosphere in which God likes to do miracles. Are you with me? Somebody say, that's good. That's good. good. Now, I know that that also might be making you feel bad. So let's pray. Because I think everybody in this room has walked away from a situation and said, you know, I did not have enough compassion on that person. Or you've got somebody in your life who is in need. Maybe it's a mental health situation, an emotional health situation, or whatever. And they wear you flat out. They need a miracle, but you ain't got no compassion for them. Right? Well, listen, this is what's great about it. All we have to do is say, God, this is what I did that's wrong. It's wrong. I'm not going to do it again by your grace. Please forgive me. Please heal me and help me. Right? So I want to pray right now. We're going to pray for miracles, but first got to get this right. And as I pray, I want you, where you see fit, to confess your sin before the Lord, quickly receive His forgiveness, understand that His forgiveness is not the way you love yourself. It's better, right? And ask God to heal your level of compassion. Are you with me? Okay, let's pray. God, we come before you and just honestly, Lord, we don't have enough compassion. We see people that you've put in our lives that we don't feel good about. That we don't feel a great love for. That we don't feel close to in association with. We, for whatever reason, we don't feel like we are the same or similar enough to feel compassion for them. And God, that's wrong. It's wrong. We've all done it. We've all felt it. Please forgive us. At times, we are not patient. We're not compassionate with listening. We're not compassionate with words of encouragement. And we're not compassionate with prayers for healing, for miracles. So God, please forgive us. We thank you that we can reasonably believe that you have forgiven us now because of Jesus. So we receive your forgiveness. And we say, God, heal our hearts. Put in us your love for other people. Put in us your grace for other people, your compassion for them and for their needs. Lord, I also pray that you would forgive us for where we have not had faith for others, for miracles, for an end to murder in Baltimore. Lord, I ask that you would forgive us to not, when we choose to not live courageous generosity, but live selfish. Forgive us for that. Help us to choose to live on less of our own time, energy, and money so that we can be available to help the people in need that You've already put in our life. Please forgive us. Please help us. So God, today, please give us compassion, give us faith, and give us the opportunity to begin to meet needs. I thank You for that, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, in closing, some instruction. One of the things that we believe in here in this church is courageous generosity. That is that God's already given us his best. I can be forgiven of my sins. I'm no longer headed for hell. I no longer have to live in hell on earth. I can have a taste of heaven now and ultimately in eternity. And so God's already given me his best so I can and should choose to live on less of my resources, which is my time, my energy, and my money. So that I can be available to be a listening ear, to love somebody by listening, to put a dollar in their hand, to to make food for them, to offer to pray for them. One of the things that we enjoy, some people call treasure hunting. That's where you drop what you normally do and you go look for people that have a need. You ready to see a miracle in your life? Well, then get to close to somebody who needs a miracle and ask God for a miracle for them. This works. So it's real simple. Make time. Go to sleep early enough so you've got energy. Set aside a couple dollars in your pocket and make yourself available. And then get face to face with them. How you doing? Not to look down on them, not to manipulate them or control their behavior. Not to try to get them to live like you. Right? How you doing? Then shut up and listen. Then listen, and when you see the need for a miracle, ask God. So here's how some of my favorite old uh, old church ladies like to do it, right? What's your name, baby? Bow your head. Lord help, Chris. Lord frying the chicken in your name, Lord, right? Some of my favorite, and I have some lovely friends in this city that are elderly church ladies. You always know when I've been around them because I smell like perfume. They just put on so much every time they hug you, you just walk away, and it's like the rest of the day, oh, hello, you've been with the church ladies. But one of the things I like about that is they use a sales technique called the assumptive close. Now, I don't always recommend this, just to be clear. But what they do is. Oh, would you like God to do something about that? Let's pray. Boom. And they start. Now, I'm from the west coast, so that's like offensive. Right? We don't do that. But, at least ask. And when you identify something that can only be done by God. Now understand the difference. I'm not talking about they're asking for a dollar. Let me, let me pray for you while well, you got a dollar in your stinking pocket. I need food. I need help finding a job. I need a, no, 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 no. When they identify something that only God can do, let's talk to God about that. And you don't need to use words. You don't need to be loud or long. It can be short and quiet as it seems all of these prayers and these stories we heard were from Jesus. Short, quiet, and simple. God, will you show up? God, will you do something? What do you think? You can do that. You can do that this week. You can do that today. Let's stand. I'm going to have the band come. We're going to play. I told you last week, we're going to close by praying for miracles. But notice this, this last story. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask Him to send more workers into His fields. Even Jesus prayed that more of us would do something about it. That more of us would be moved with compassion. Even Jesus prayed for that. So, here we are. God of miracles is here, now, available. So, if you need a miracle, raise your hand or step out to the side, someone's going to come alongside you and the God of miracles is going to show up. Okay? I'll say a prayer and then we'll just move into that prayer. Please feel free to get something to eat or drink. Grace and peace to you this week. Thank you for being here. But I'll say a word of prayer and then we can be dismissed and we'll spend time to pray. Lord, I thank you that you are who you said you are that You are the God of miracles. God, I thank You that it is our reasonable response to come and say thank You that You've already done the miracle of forgiving our sins. That's greater than the miracle of healing our physical bodies. So today we come in faith, asking for grace. In Jesus' name, Amen.